Hey everyone, welcome to this week's podcast. Gotta give a big thank you to Wes from Second Opinion Games for making me another very awesome retro RGB shirt. This one's got uh, scanline style lettering. I'll uh, show that off here. Sorry for anybody listening audio only, but it's a very neat shirt. If anybody wants to check it out and uh, or possibly even buy their own, they're up on Teespring. And Wes has done a great job on a lot of these designs. So uh, I really enjoy wearing these. I know you're not supposed to like wear the shirt of your own band, but somebody tell that to Steve Harris because he's been doing it for like 40 years and looks pretty freaking cool the whole time. But anyway, let's jump into this week's news. Artemio just posted a pretty cool write-up about the MD Fourier audio analysis software and why you might get pretty different results when using modern emulation consoles such as FPGA hardware emulation or software emulation. Now, the write-up has all the details that you would need to know about this, and it's a public Patreon post, so anybody could read it. But if you do use the 240p test suite or MD Fourier, please consider uh, subscribing to that Patreon account because those tools are absolutely essential for some of this testing. But the short, short version about the post is in order for consoles to be compatible with modern HDMI signals, so TVs, capture cards, and all of that, it has to be outputted at the exact spec that falls under the HDMI specifications. And many of these older consoles do not. They're off by just a hair. So in order for some of these devices to make them fully compatible, you have to either very slightly speed up or very slightly slow down the signal in order for it to match. And in most cases, there's different settings you could change to make it back to the original, but, you know, sacrifice compatibility. Um, and also, in most cases, it is really an imperceptible change where you can't hear an audio pitch difference. It will not affect your gameplay in most cases. Um, you know, the, the audio analysis tools will show a difference because these are very precise tools, but the real-world difference might not be that big. And I'd also like to hear speedrunners' opinions on how they apply stuff like this to their runs, because I imagine in many cases it probably doesn't affect it at all, but I'm certainly interested in the cases where it does affect it and people would take this into consideration as part of their speedrun. But anyway, it's a very cool post, so if you're into that stuff, please check it out. I'm very excited to announce that as of right now, Ray Commend and I will be doing a panel at the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo this coming August. The panel is going to be designed for all skill levels, but it's going to be focusing on retro gaming tech in 2020, what's new, what's coming, and how to apply all of that to your setup. And I really think we're going to structure it in a way that there is no learning curve. So if you've never touched uh, retro consoles on newer equipment before, you'll still be able to, to understand. And if you're already an expert with a, a fully loaded setup, uh, you know, you'll have to sit through a tiny bit of explanation, but I think it's also going to be for you as well. Uh, now, I, I think that all of this is going on. Of course, everything's getting postponed because of coronavirus, but being that this is in August, it should be able to still be okay. Uh, but I guess we'll all have to wait and see. So as of right now, we're in. We're very excited about it. I'll see if I could have uh, even another special guest come join, and we'll all kind of go from there. But yeah, very excited about Long Island Retro Gaming Expo. It's one of my favorites, and I'm really happy to be a part of it again. And I'm also happen to, uh, happy to bring Ray Commend and possibly a few others up as well. So uh, if we're all you know still alive in August, <laughs> then come check us out. <laughs> 
When I was at PAX East, I stumbled across a booth that was a group of developers selling their games on NES cartridges playable on original hardware, as well as on Steam for anybody that just wants to play it on modern computers. And one game that really caught my eye was called Trophy, which is a Mega Man-inspired side-scrolling platformer, a type of game that I always enjoy. But it was really modern feeling. The physics of the game were great. It looked great because it utilized the MM3 mapper chip in order to, to gain some more horsepower for the games. And I, I was just really impressed by it. And then in talking to the team that makes it, it turns out that they wrote this game pretty much from scratch using Assembler, as well as wrote some of their own tools in order to make it happen. So while, in my opinion, any way you make a game is awesome as long as the game is good, like I'm certainly not shaming anybody for using Nestmaker to make a very awesome game, I just thought it was a pr pretty cool tidbit that they didn't go down that route and just really designed all of this by themselves. But the, uh, you know, the game itself is really all that matters, and I thought it was awesome, and I wanted to talk about it here, especially because it's on Kickstarter now, but the game is already finished. So it's not going to be a case where you're wondering if the game will be done and maybe you won't get it. I mean, obviously, there's things in life that could always happen, but generally speaking, the options are uh, $10 for a software-only version, which includes the PC version that comes with a ROM, $50 for cart only, and $60 for a complete in-box option. Uh, there was a limited uh, edition set, but those sold out pretty much immediately. And I think that it's safe to treat this as a pre-order of a finished product. So not you're not funding a game to be finished. Um, and they've made games before. So, you know, while once again, there's no guarantee of anything, it really seems like a safer thing to back. Um, and, and something that I thought was very cool. So... Uh, anybody that's interested in this stuff, definitely check it out. The cartridges themselves, too, looked very cool. Uh, I really liked the translucent shells. And they're using PCBs from Infinite Nest Lives. And, uh, you know, those are generally known to be very high quality. So anybody that's into this game, check it out. I was just really happy that I saw an awesome-looking Nest game that's completed. And it looks like something that anybody who wants to can pick it up whether you're like me and you just want to buy the rom to help the developer but you don't want to mess with it you just want to use it on a rom cart or you're somebody that really likes original carts or even a collector that wants a full complete in box i just really was happy with the whole situation so uh, there you go check out trophy if you're into it Mike Chi has just posted a brand new firmware for the RetroTINK 2X Pro, with much of the updates being donated by James F. Uh, so thank you very much to both of you. Anybody that uh, owns a newer RetroTINK can update these simply by plugging them into a PC and running some software. You don't need any kind of programming hardware or any of that. You just have to, um, you just have, to have some patience and set some stuff up. It really is pretty easy. And there looks to be a bunch of really, really cool updates to this that are really focusing on tweaking, getting getting things sharper, uh, having the smoothing filter be a little bit smoother, uh, and improve format detection and stuff like that. So uh, honestly, it's just a product that I thought was completely awesome as is that just got a bunch of tweaks that, whether you notice them or not, are all a good benefit to us. So thanks to Mike, thanks to James F., uh, and you know, thanks to everybody that supports products like this because 
I, I just I love that we finally have options for people at really almost any price point now. It would be nice to get some bargain bin solution that doesn't suck, uh, but at the very least, we have realistic expectations for things now. For between sixty and a hundred dollars ish, you can get yourself a really good way to play old consoles on new equipment. Um, you know, give or take, depending on what options you want. So uh, I can't wait to check this out and see if there's a difference. And if there's uh, any major differences, I'll post at least a quick uh, written post with some pictures. Wrestling with Gaming just posted another very cool documentary, this time about the game show Nick's Arcade, a kid's game show from the early 90s on the TV channel Nickelodeon that would put kids inside games. Essentially, they would dress up and play in front of a blue screen and kind of be interactive inside the game, which must have been super awkward without practice, by the way. I can only imagine what it's like to try to look at a TV and pretend that your movements are in it. I have a hard enough time like holding stuff up in front of the camera because you got to go backwards. Left is right, right's left, and all that stuff. So <laughs> like, uh, I could only imagine how hard it would be as a kid to try to do all that stuff. But uh, another great documentary, very cool behind-the-scenes stuff in there. And I believe he actually uh, deleted and then re-uploaded a new version of the documentary because he got one detail wrong. Um, that's something that's really commendable. You know, I think for the weeklies that I do, I would just leave a note because these are really just meant to be, um, you know, keep everybody in the loop and not be things that people go back to. But all of Wrestling with Gaming's documentaries are things that are kind of timeless. You know, Nick Arcade, you know, the, the history of it isn't going to change. So I, I do think that's really awesome that he was able to do that. So if you've already watched it, maybe take one for the team and just kind of click on it and mute it and let it play through in your browser just so uh, he can get the hits back from whatever he lost. But uh, very cool documentary as always, and I thought it was really entertaining. So please check it out. The creator of the home arcade system, the Hass Supergun, has just released JAMA extension harnesses that range from a very basic extension harness to one that has a voltmeter built in, as well as a few other options. And these are really great for people that don't want to have their Hass connected directly to any kind of arcade board. And there's many reasons for that. It could be just mounting where you keep everything. It could be a better fit depending on the case or board that you have. Or you could just constantly be testing different boards and you don't want to wear out the connector on your Hass as fast as you would have. So obviously it's better to just wear out the one on a board. Uh, but overall, I think anybody that needs a, uh, a an extension cable will probably already know that and just pick one of these up. But um, I think it's very cool that uh, more Supergun-related products are being released because for years it was really by experts for experts, and now we're approaching a time where pretty much anybody could start using arcade boards. And I definitely want to do some videos about how I store my boards, how I would like to change that in the future. I have an idea for how to store boards that might help them last a little bit longer while still being usable so you don't have to unwrap them every time but i gotta test all of it and you know only so many hours in the day but i'm definitely getting excited and getting into arcade collecting um, and stuff like this are tools that could be a big help depending on your setup another booth really caught my eye at pax for two reasons uh, first, because I'm a nerd and it's easy to sucker me in with stuff like this, I saw a table full of floppy disks uh, and cassette tapes, and I was wondering what that was all about. And it was a group of Boston game developers that got together, and they basically sold download codes for their game on Steam, but the codes were on floppy disks, which were pretty neat, because now you get technically a physical 
representation of the game that you bought in a very unique way. And although the floppy drive doesn't contain the game, it's kind of just a neat way to, to get merch, I guess, as well as the game. And the one on the cassette tape, um, it, that one caught my eye because the soundtrack to the game is playable on the cassette tape. And, you know, the game itself is once again a download code. But that game really kind of... Like it, the whole concept intrigued me, and I was totally skeptical at first, but the game was kind words, lo-fi, chill beats to write to. And your character is sitting at a desk in a bedroom in front of a window, and the whole point of the game, and some people debate if this is a game at all, really, but the whole point of the game is to either just write letters to people and uh, or write responses to people, but there's no direct connection between anybody so you know you never know who you're sending to or who the response was from um you know they they strongly discourage any kind of direct contact between people this is really just designed for somebody to make themselves the character and kind of express themselves in the way that they wanted to which is kind of neat because it also takes people away from you don't you're not saying like bob write a letter you're saying go into this game and have the character write a letter and what they found was mostly overwhelmingly positive letters and responses uh and you know i guess i maybe it's because i'm getting old and cynical but i just had to ask like how do you deal with trolls on stuff like that it's got to be an issue sometimes and they said you know the the first uh, the first issue that's taken away is that you do have to pay for the game it's not free and that alone really removes so many trolls from the equation but the fact that you never know who you're interacting with has been another big deterrent for trolls because they don't get that satisfaction of watching people get riled up or anything. Like if your trolley letter goes out, um, you know, it might be caught in the filter. It might just be flagged and, you know, deleted forever and all that stuff. So it's really a great deterrent for people to not do crappy things like that. And I, I just really loved the concept of, of, of kind of doing something like this where it is, it kind of has to be a selfless act because you don't get any response from it. So even those people that like to do good things because it makes them feel good, and by the way, I have no problem with that. If you're doing good things for people, you're, you know, regardless of your motive, consider yourself a good person. But, uh, but I mean, it does take that away. You don't do this because you receive pats on the back. You do this because you just want to do something nice anonymously for somebody. So I thought that was really cool, and I thought that was really needed in a time where all social media can get so toxic so quickly. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where I'd love to say that I'll dedicate like one letter a week or something to just doing this, just to just to do something nice that doesn't matter. You know, like uh, hopefully that came out right. Anyway, it's a pretty cool concept. I didn't mean to talk so long about it, but I thought both the way they were selling it and the game itself was intriguing enough to share with everybody. Both the PC Engine and TurboGrafx Mini consoles have been delayed due to coronavirus, and I would say that you should expect delays on pretty much everything that was supposed to go out this spring for the same reasons. Um, almost everything that I've heard announced is still getting released at some point, they just don't have a target date, which is the same as these mini consoles. Um, they say that they're still making them, they just aren't sure when exactly they're going to be released, which is totally fair. Um, now, my opinion on these mini consoles has always been the same, and people tend to get really, really upset by it, but I just, I don't quite get it. So if you're somebody that um, that just wants to have fun and experience the games, these are, I think, awesome devices. I mean, even the PlayStation one was pretty bad, but when it got knocked down to like 25 bucks, 
at that price point, you know, it's still something that you could just start playing the game and have your blast of nostalgia and decide, is that all I really wanted? Did I just want to play these games for 10 minutes each and feel the way I felt when I originally played them? Or do I play these games because I love the games? So step one, I think, is perfectly awesome buying these consoles. And of course, I think that they're awesome collector's items. I mean, it's a mini version of a console. The box itself is usually really neat. I still have my Genesis one behind me. And it usually comes with decent USB controllers. So for a collector's item or for people that want the controllers and stuff, I think those are great reasons to buy it as well. But if you are a hardcore gamer that plays these games because these are the games that you love, not because, you know, of the blast of nostalgia, then this definitely isn't the best choice because of the inaccuracies and variability of the software emulation. So the the shortest way I could describe it is if you have a modern TV, um, the lowest amount of latency is always the best. But your average TV, if you hold the time sleuth up to the top of it and you just hold it there for a few minutes, the latency barely changes at all. Certainly not frames worth. Usually it's milliseconds, if not microseconds, and it stays pretty regular, which means if you have a modern TV with less than a frame of lag, it might really feel like a zero lag solution. But software emulation is all over the place. When I ran my tests, sometimes it's three frames a lag, sometimes it's seven. Depending on the emulation box that you're using, you could tweak it and sometimes get one frame and sometimes get five. But the variability of it is what makes it impossible to have the same experience as the original. And it's my opinion that if I lose at games, I want it to be because of my skill level and not because of some other thing. Software emulation, uh, you know, a bad controller, a bad arcade stick or something like that. So I try to always keep a fair opinion out there. And I, I really think it's a fair opinion. I mean, if you don't know if it's nostalgia, just buy the classic console and enjoy it. And if you decide that's enough for you, that's awesome. It's great, but if you decide, hey, you know, I, I've played this shooter to the end many times and I can't beat it on this one, or this doesn't quite feel right, then, you know, keep it as an awesome collector's item. No money wasted there. You have this neat, fun thing. And then go look at other options like FPGA stuff or original hardware with like a retro tank. But overall, I think they're awesome devices. I think people just need to have realistic expectations of what they do. Uh, and I just honestly don't understand any people that disagree with that. So if, uh, if I'm explaining this wrong, then it's my fault. Please let me know in the comments. But, and if you have any reasonable thoughts about this, then please post that as well. Cause I'd love to, if I'm wrong, I'd love to know why most of the people's responses about this stuff are, you're just an elitist prick that only wants the best. And it's like, eh, no, you not at all. I haven't, you know, spent thousands of hours of my life trying to get everybody's options lined up properly on every price point. But when the question comes, what's you know the most accurate solution to the original, it's not going to be any of the classic consoles. So I'd love to hear anybody's thoughts on this if you have any. Uh, and I just realized I talked for four minutes that all I needed to say was the console was delayed coming out soon. Sorry for the ramble. Insurrection Industries has just announced that they're listing the final stock of their Carby component cables for the GameCube. And after these sell out, they most likely will not be available again. 
In fact, after all of their inventory sells out, there's probably going to be a delay before it's restocked because of coronavirus, just like everything else. Um, But everything else is planning on being replenished at some point, just not the component cables. And I have mixed feelings about this because first and foremost, if you're just somebody that wanted component video in 240p, 480i, and 480p out of your GameCube, just a plug and play solution, um, these were great and fairly priced and they did exactly what you would need. However, another solution would be just as good in most cases, in my opinion. You could pick up their Carby HDMI device and then pick up a $13 HDMI to component converter and get pretty much the same type of solution. Now, the biggest problem with this is trying to find a converter that has the correct chip in it that processes the signal correctly. I have them linked both in this post as well as on my Amazon Associates page. Um, But the unfortunate part about that that I always warn people about is that you could buy one of these now and then follow the same link a year from now and it might have different guts in the same case. Um, And obviously, depending on when stocks replenished, it might be sooner or farther away than that. So uh, I could only suggest these and try and tell people that try and see if it works for you. And if it causes problems, just return it or something. But luckily, it's only a $13 solution. So that's kind of awesome. So there are still ways to get component video out. And depending on your situation, having both an HDMI and a component output solution, meaning combining these two devices, might actually end up being the better solution for you. I just know that there were a ton of people that just wanted a basic plug-and-play component solution and were never going to mess with HDMI. Maybe they're using it on RGB monitors, or maybe they're using it on uh, consumer-grade TVs or something like that. But, you know, it's too bad that they won't be made anymore. And I think there were, uh, you know, with respect, I think there were some experts that were getting a little nitpicky on the exact output of these. Um, And while I'm always, you know, I'm always for getting every detail about everything, even the details that don't matter... I would like to say that if you already have a component cable, the Carby component cable, it's a great device. Um, So while we're always striving, especially us fellow nerds, we're always striving for perfection, um, you know, there were differences in this GC video revision, in the component video output, and it's really only something that I think a select few would notice. So uh, if you're looking to just get a very basic plug-and-play solution, uh, pick up whatever the remaining stock is, or if you think you might benefit from both HDMI and component, check the links in the post and pick yourself up one of each. Um, and unfortunately, uh, once these sell out, that's going to be your only choice in the future if you want something like this for this price point. I just posted a review of the new Game Gear EverDrive, the X7 that Crix just released. And the short, short version is the old one is the one to get if you're looking to play ROMs on a Game Gear as cheap as possible. Uh, Stone Age Gamer still has them for a good price, brand new, and of course you could find a used one. But if you want the version that loads the games instantly, that's the most compatible. Um, and basically, if, if you want the, the top tier version, pick up the brand new X7. Um, the video, I hope, answered everybody's questions and was uh, able to give people a good idea of which is the right choice for them. And it also was a, a pretty stark reminder that the original Game Gear screen was pretty terrible. My Game Gear is mint. The screen is one of the best I've ever seen, but you know that's like the best worst type of thing. So hopefully we'll have some really good quality LCD screen replacement options coming soon for the Game Gear. Um, Definitely check out the video if you're interested in any of this stuff. And I guess if anybody wants my old uh, Game Gear, the original Game Gear EverDrive, let me know. 
Some people involved with the Doomsday Duplicator project just opened pre-orders on fully completed hardware for the project. Um, and this is something that I've always been really impressed with in a project that I've tried to support as best as I can. Now, anybody that's interested in this um, that doesn't know the story, please check out the interview I did with Simon and Chad, the people that started the project. But the short, short version is this is a project dedicated to preservation of analog media, and they started it with laser discs. And the way the project works is you have a piece of hardware, this piece of hardware, that you attach to a compatible laser disc player that gets you a full rip of everything that's on the disc. Um, and that's, you know, hidden tracks, hidden um, data that's on there that isn't audio or video. And that gets saved to a very large file, usually about 8 gigs, I think they said. And then part two of it is you use software called LD Decode in order to take that data and extract the audio and video information for the best possible backup of that. Um, definitely improved over just basic video capture. And another part of the project is something that I think is super important for preservation that I would really love to see implemented in more forms of media um, in that you could take multiple copies of the same thing and the software will automatically pull the best data from each. And uh, I was contacted about a project a while back. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about this. So I'm going to be super general, excuse me, but uh, a small company just got the intellectual or the rights to the intellectual property of something and had the ability to re-release it in a, a kind of a neat way. But the original masters were all completely lost. So the only way in, for them to do it is to take the analog media that they have and do their best with it. And if the project had already been ported over to this format, you could just get 10 of the same thing and have it scan to automatically take the best parts of each to get a much higher quality um, version of it. So the project right now is pretty solid on Laserdisc. It's moved over to VHS, which is still in beta. Um, and audio support at the moment requires a different piece of hardware. So you're either going to need two of these or you would just take the audio tracks analog into a, a higher quality capture card. Um, so definitely consider VHS beta. But it's a project that I think is very important and that I think really needs to be shared with other people because I think anybody that's into preservation and understands that this stuff is going to disappear forever without us to help, then it's, uh, I mean, it's kind of more important when you realize what these projects are going towards. Anybody that wants to buy the hardware, the link is right in the post. I do want to very politely remind everybody that RetroRGB does not sell anything other than t-shirts from the Teespring store. Uh, so I just embedded the link to make it much easier, but we have no affiliation. So this is, if you buy it through this page, you're buying it from a different store, a different seller, and all of that stuff. Just a polite reminder. But you could buy three things. So for $410, uh, all available from the drop-down menu, you can get the full kit, which includes absolutely everything and a calibration board. Now, this kit runs off of a DE10 Nano, the same exact device that's used in the Mister. So if you already have a Mister and you don't mind pulling the DE10 out every time you need to rip a laser disc, you could buy a cheaper version for 277 and just add your own DE10 Nano. Um, and then the calibration board is also sold separately. And I've never calibrated one, so I think it might be that once you've calibrated your player, you probably won't need the board again. So it, this really is a, you know, 
pick pick your poison type of thing. Um, I'm thinking about getting the the full kit anyway because I want to help a lot of people out with preservation, um, and I think stuff like this is one step into it. So uh, I'm definitely looking into getting everything just so I could try and be a help. But if you're interested in any of this, please check it out, uh, and also check out the original interview as well as their Discord channel and everything involved in the Doomsday Duplicator project because I really think it's super important, and I hope one day that it's able to get ported to pretty much every analog media. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thank you so much to everybody who watches and listens, everybody who participates nicely in the comments, and of course, everybody who supports on Floatplane and Patreon, because it's your support that's keeping these weekly roundups going, as well as all of the behind-the-scenes research and development that we're all involved in. So thank you all so much for continuing to make this happen, and I'll see you next week.